Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Here we are again for another episode of Stargate Archives and an episode of Stargate Theatre. This week I'm going to be looking at the movie Morlocks, aka Time Machine Rise of the Morlocks. This movie premiered in the USA September the 24th, 2011. The Germans got it August 24th, 2012 and in Sweden January the 15th, 2013. I don't remember when I first saw this. It must have been on the Sci-Fi channel but exactly when I'm not quite so sure. Rotten Tomato scores, 0 on the critics and 6% for the audience reviews, which isn't good. <laughs> Not good at all. The movie was directed by Matt Codd. He's also directed Shark Hunter, Lost Colony, Dragon Dynasty and Super Eruption, but he's far better known for being a concept artist and illustrator. The writer, we've got two credits for this, Adam J. Carp and Royal McGraw, and of course a notation, H.G. Wells. Give him the original credit for this story. This movie stars David Hewlett. That's why he got into this Stargate theatre list. Also features Robert Picardo as well. Can't really go wrong with those pair. Okay then, no messing about. Let's jump straight into Morlocks. The movie opens with a cold start. We see some US soldiers carrying Geiger counters, scanning for background radiation, coming up negative. Something's wrong though. One of the soldiers comments that somebody should be alive around here. So we're looking at an event, something has happened, something catastrophic, and nobody's alive to tell the tale. Two of the soldiers sent on a scouting patrol. Lots of fog, wind, very <laughs> the moors, reminiscent of the moors from a Sherlock Holmes mystery. There seems to be some sort of relationship between the two soldiers. He's getting a little amorous, she's more professional pointing out that they are on duty, <laughs> they are actually deployed at this moment in time. Good for her, there's plenty of time to fall around when you're off duty. We then go to the commanding officer who's inside his tent, working on his computer. We see the shadow of one of the men on sentry duty, and then something big and fast flashes across, grabs him and he screams. Soldiers grab their weapons as all hell breaks loose. We see some sort of creature, vaguely reptilian type looking, very large, literally ripping the guts out of this soldier. His commanding officer freezes. Yeah, he does scream a little, but he doesn't act. He certainly doesn't open fire. We see the two soldiers on patrol. They hear the screams, and they do react. They sprint back to the base. Unfortunately, nobody's alive. There are bodies strewn everywhere, ripped to shreds. The tents are destroyed. No one's responding. One of the soldiers grabs a piece of tech from the debris, and they both sprint to the Humvee, jump in and roar off. They use the device, hit the keypad, whatever it is, trying to activate it. Pulse of energy flashes in front of the Humvee. Some sort of vortex appears. At the same time, one of the creatures comes straight to the window, grabs him, rips him bodily out through the Humvee, taking the device with him. The other female soldier, Perez, gets the Humvee into gear and drives through and appears somewhere else. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. This looks like the inside of a military base. Two soldiers help Perez out of the Humvee. The vortex is still there, now behind the vehicle, rather in front of it. Some sort of gateway, portal, maybe. Interesting priorities. No medic, but the captain 
interrogates the wounded soldier about the latch. Where is it? Obviously, it's very important. Maybe the only one they've got, and it's somewhere else. Perhaps you'd be able to answer the questions better if they got a bit of treatment. <laughs> the commanding officer appears, played by Robert Picardo. Uh, you can't go wrong with Robert Picardo. He appeared in SG-1, Atlantis and Universe, as well as Star Trek Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Of course, the Star Trek movie First Contact as well. Also been in Dickinson, The Flash, Mentalist, Morville. Huge resume, very popular actor. Busy on social media as well. Good account to follow on Twitter. He basically wants to know what's gone wrong. Captain, it's on the other side. Interesting. And then we get the opening credits. Not too shabby. Movie restarts. Some stock footage of, uh, looks like New York. And the inside of a bookstore. We recognise that voice. We have a, a rear view of a speaker at the podium. Definitely David Hewlett. David plays Radnor. If you listen to this, you know, of course, that he, <laughs> he appeared in SG-1 and starred in Atlantis. He's also been in Clarice, Midway, Murdoch Mysteries and Private Eyes more recently. Always a pleasure to see David's work. His character is reading his latest novel, The Time Traveller's Strife. <laughs> nice. To be honest, listening to the book as he reads it, it sounds a little depressing. He gets into a conversation with uh, one of the members of the audience. Uh, it's not going very well. And then two men... Approach in the background, give him a look, and he gets nervous, very nervous. He grabs his bag, his book, and says goodbye to the audience and exit stage left. Somehow he evades the two men, and they look secret service agents, CIA, something like that. Gets to the underground car park, and there's an SUV waiting for him. Don't bother chasing somebody, just stake out where they're going to go. <laughs> he does a 180 and starts walking in the other direction. That's when a stretch limousine pulls up and I think he throws in the towel. He approaches, the window winds down and a young woman looks up at him. They know each other. Angela, played by Christine Cole. I think I first saw Christine in the Supernatural series Hex. She's uh, been in Doctor Who and more recently Suits. So what is the relationship with James Radner, the author? Interesting. It seems that James, before he was an author, was some sort of research scientist who worked on a time machine, or time manipulation project for the US military. And now something's gone wrong and he's been brought back into the fold. It makes you wonder why he wasn't involved all along. It mentions a divorce, so does that mean these two were a couple? That would explain the animosity. They arrive at Tempest Flats. Gotta say, they haven't spent a lot of money on the military base. It is very basic. Not many extras either. <laughs> well, let's hope they're spending the money on uh, other things. We get a bit more background. Ten people died on the initial experiments. James blames himself for that. Perfectly reasonable. Angela actually doesn't believe it was his fault. And, you know, these things happen. And the problem is that time travel to the future isn't what they thought it'd be. Like I say, the people they sent there were supposed to get an accurate reading of when, what era they were in. They failed to actually do that. So, <laughs> uh, what exactly do they want James to do? This whole place should have been leveled. It's not all on your shoulders. Hundreds of people were right beside you. And I pushed the button. And I stayed behind to clean up the mess. You should have left with me. What was I supposed to do? These people buried my career. And you chose them over me. Oh, that's telling, isn't it? Colonel Wichita greets James. Robert Cardo and David Hewlett on the same screen. Fantastic. 
he wasn't very happy about the book. He was having him arrested for giving away too much information. But Angela, his ex-wife, James's ex-wife, convinced the colonel not to actually take any action. He'd done enough to ruin his career anyway. Definitely uh, some bad blood between these two. However, it gives James complete run of the base and Angela takes him to the main lab. We see the Humvee, blood splattered all over one side, the door missing. We meet Dr. Felix Watkins, the man behind this research facility, took over after James left. Felix is played by Jim Fife. He was in The Frighteners, great movie. X-Files, Dark Shadows. One of those faces you know you've seen somewhere. This is where James finds out that they've lost the latch, which is a device he invented, even though it seems Felix wants to take credit for it. Look, I can't believe you built another one. This is nuts. Look, where is the thing now? It's not a question of where. It's more a question of when. There's a spike in the energy readings of the Vortex. Incoming traveller. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't look good. Scientists are running for their lives. The men behind the extensive shielding, they look a bit nervous. Angela is pulling James away because she knows how bad this is. A rift is opening and they're not doing it which is very worrying. Armed soldiers come into the main lab, which again, have they needed armed soldiers before? Does that indicate that something is trying to come through? Something physical, something alive? Oh, this ain't good. We hear an eerie cry echo around the room, and then two creatures are seen coming through the rift. Soldiers open fire, tearing into him. CGI, not good. Creature design, not very demanding, it has to be said. CGI blood as well. Still, Robert Picardo, David Hewlett. <laughs> I'll forgive a production a lot for getting those two together. Anyhow, these two monsters are really doing some damage. Certainly the humans, even with weaponry, are no match. No, it doesn't look good. But then two of the soldiers manage to put enough bullets in it to stop it. The other creature stands on the Humvee, tall, bipedal, vaguely humanoid. It looks at James and Angela and leaps. Thankfully, the captain makes an appearance with a heavy weapon and blat. Blood everywhere. James and Angela get covered. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the uh, special effects guys really love that scene. When they finally get everybody cleaned up, James learns the truth. That they believe that humanity has died out. That these monsters basically roam the earth now. Angela, don't you want to know why? How? Maybe we can prevent the fall of mankind. Of course, to get him to do that, they need to get the latch back. While James can make another, there's no guarantee that it was sent to the same place in space-time. It could actually send him back in time rather than forward. So they've got to go through the vortex, retrieve the latch, fix it, because you can't bring one back through an open rift because it'd blow up. And as Dr. Watkins points out, he only built the latch based on James's designs. There's only one person that can fix it. And as this conversation goes on, James finally figures out that he's going forward in time. It's up to him to save the day. Very Rodney McKay, it has got to be said. But there's nothing wrong with that. You want me to travel through a rip in time, find and repair a device that you lost and broke, all the while trying to avoid rampaging creatures from the future. That about to sum it up? What a fantastic opportunity to be a hero, the saviour of mankind. Come on, James, you can do it. Nope. <laughs> He's going. He's not having any of this. He doesn't get too far, though. The colonel intercepts him before he leaves the building, points out it's your life's work, 
And James finally admits the fact that, yeah, he knew, he probably knows what's wrong with the latch and he can fix it. Nicely done, Colonel. We're back at the main lab. The rift is open and a team has been assembled. Captain Hoyle, his men and James, all kitted out, ready to go. The rift will deposit them within a few kilometres of the latch. They've got a scanner to home in on it. Hopefully there won't be any of the native beasts around to make a meal of them. Think there will be you know <laughs> this isn't going to go well we know that some of these men are not coming back a last few goodbyes and they step through the rift into a city that's been detonated skyscrapers no glass holes in them everywhere hard to tell if this is the result of a war or just maybe a thousand years of neglect but there are bodies and there's still fires burning so there's certainly something going on we then get a scene where we jump back to the lab Colonel Wichita is looking at some personnel files and one and one that's labelled John Wichita who it seems is suffering some, from some sort of cancer so that's a B-plot if you like James picks up a signal from the latch while he's straining to get hold of it his two guards start focusing on a creature which has just kind of crept up on him it looks like some sort of reptilian ostrich bigger, very powerful limbs very big beak well, what are you going to do? You're both armed, but they're not shooting for some reason. Kill it, get the latch, get out. But no, no, they run away. They take cover in a building. One makes frontal assault and gets held off by gunfire, while the other kind of creeps around by the side. Luckily, one of the soldiers sees it, opens up and drives it away. The three men live to fight another day. They rendezvous with the captain, who's not very pleased at all after hearing the live fire. He wants to know where the latch is. But then one of the bees <laughs> appears as if by magic and takes a head off one of the soldiers. Run away! <laughs> the whole squad is in defensive mode. They deploy grenades, which are very effective. But still, the creatures come. They've got to worry about low ammunition and the rate of fire. They manage to get to an old bus. They all get inside. It provides some cover and they're firing through the windows. Chaotic firefight ensues. The director makes a point of showing a lot of the casings hitting the ground. They are going through their ammunition at an incredible rate. But they do drive the animals off. Interesting, the animals also scavenged their own dead. I suppose the small cost of the CGI to show that negates the need for actual physical creatures in the live action shots. Creative film producing. That's the key to a successful B-movie. A surprising turn of events, we see amongst the debris a number of men, or women, rise from prone positions wearing ghillie suits and carrying sniper rifles. Are these some of the people that were lost during the last experiment? We know that James said 10 people died, but the colonel said 10 people went missing. Perhaps these are some of the missing people. James walks towards them, lowers the captain's weapon, and the lead man removes his ghillie suit hood, and James says, Patterson. Yep, these are the people that were lost on the initial experiment. We don't know how many are still alive, certainly not ten, but a true sense of accomplishment that there are people still alive in this incredibly dangerous environment. Patterson's team were the, I mean, they were the guinea pigs. I mean, the first team we tried to send through time. Yeah, but I thought you killed them. You and me both, but I guess we must have just, what, zapped you forward? We were only meant to go 15 minutes into the future, but somehow that didn't quite pan out. <laughs> Understatement of the, well, century. Patterson then goes on to inform them that they've really got to get undercover as quickly as possible. 
Can't go and get the latch at this moment. Back at base, Angela informs the colonel that the creature they've been analysing has human DNA, which underlines the fact that Cortez, one of the missing soldiers, informed them that the population of the Earth at that time knew about Morlocks. They didn't appear by magic. They were a growing threat, which eventually took over. And the colonel is invested in the DNA of these creatures. For selfish reasons, maybe for his son. But what if he is the source of the Morlocks? And by travelling to the future, they bring back the very thing that's going to destroy humanity. Ooh. And then there's an energy spike at the rift. Angela gets locked behind the security doors of the main lab when a Morlock enters. And, well, she's dead. Bit of a coincidence, that. She's having an argument with the colonel and suddenly she's behind a security door, all alone against a beast intent on destroying humanity. Hmm. We're back on Earth. Date unknown. The soldiers take James and his men to their base operations. Turns out to be Tempest Flats. They moved in time, they ever moved in space. This is basically where they started from. Except it's a wreckage of the research facility and the military base it's housed on. What goes around comes around. As luck would have it, one of the main computer terminals is still working. They pull up some footage of the events at the lab that we just witnessed in the movie. They learn that the Morlocks once human. Bit bizarre to accept, but they do. James has a flash of conscience. He believes that he can't kill the Morlocks, they're human. Uh, obviously, Patterson and the captain don't agree. And they're right. Trying to do something to prevent this. Well, that's reasonable. But again, Patterson says, you know, we want to go home. And the captain agrees. His orders are simple. Find the latch. Find any of the missing men. Bring them home. That's got to be the primary. Definitely looks like events in the past caused the events in the future, which is what you'd expect. The only question is, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy, or can they do something about it? Well, they don't get any time to discuss this any further, as after all these years, the Morlocks finally break into the compound. En masse, in fact. They're everywhere. Panic ensues. The only good thing is that the Morlocks don't seem to be supernatural in physique. They are killed by bullets just like anything else. A few of them are taken down, but there's way too many. The surviving soldiers head for the escape hatch, which leads to a wooded area, maybe around the back of the base. Hopefully an area where the Morlocks don't congregate. They do seem to be intelligent, though, so anything's possible. The next day, the survivors make it back to where the latch was detected. Unfortunately for them, it was stolen by one of the Morlocks late the previous evening. Like I said, intelligent. Or well, maybe they just like the pretty lights. Well, soldiers are screwed. <laughs> uh, but then again, we're only halfway through the movie, so... Plan B. Steal the latch back from the evolved humans. Or de-evolved humans, depending upon how you look at it. James finds Angela's necklace in the rubble. That's a bit of a miracle. He says they've taken her. I'm a bit puzzled. Yes, the Morlocks went back in time, attacked Angela while she was in the lab, and maybe they took her. Does that mean they went back through the vortex, back to the future? <laughs> back to the future. Okay. Convoluted plot, but I'll buy it. Which is a good idea, because the next scene we see that Angela is waking up in some sort of Morlock larder. Dead bodies, skeletons all over the place. She seems to be the only live thing there. Obviously, she was meant for dessert. <laughs> Taking advantage of the daylight, the soldiers and James leave the city. It's winter time, there's a hell of a lot of snow about. Following a track that they've gone down before, only to a certain point though, 
This is where they believe the Morlocks hold up. So we're not talking about millions, billions of Morlocks. Probably a small group. Whether or not they're limited to this part of the planet or not, we're not quite sure. But they get to a huge dam. And if this is where the Morlocks make their home, well, dark, damp, deep, lots of stairways, tunnels, a nightmare to navigate. They enter the dam. Looks like it's been through a lot. Not exactly a clean and well-ordered area. Again, we're not quite sure how far in the future this is. However, the team decides to split up. Mistake. <laughs> well, would you believe it? James actually finds Angela and rescues her from the food pit. Well, I suppose predictable. Doesn't mean she's going to survive, but let's see where it goes. No, 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 no. I don't believe that the CCTV system in this dam is working. Sorry, don't believe it. Although it is pretty good for the movie because one group of the soldiers are watching the captain as he searches for the latch and we see the Morlocks, like bats, sleep in the ceiling. But there's suspension of disbelief and then there's, no, you're taking the proverbial, aren't you? Well, that was just stupid. They're watching the captain as he recovers the latch and then over the radios, they blurt out, be careful, <laughs> they're all around you. And only then does the captain realise that the Morlocks are above him. Yet he's been quiet, he hasn't drawn their attention. He would probably have walked out of that room without disturbing them in any way, shape or form. Now, they risked his life to give him a warning. Jesus. <sighs> yep, no surprise. They've started to wake up. The captain opens fire as he regroup with his team. Makes it to James, gives in the latch. They're at a desperate firefight at a dead end. Luckily, Patterson starts opening up on the Morlocks. Unfortunately, he's not looking after himself. One of the Morlocks managed to, to get above him. And Patterson is skewered. Torn to bits. I think they're down to five survivors now. At least five military. Six, if you count Angela. Travelled through time. Thanks to the Morlocks taking her back because they were peckish later. The captain uses the last of his ammunition. It looks like he's a goner. Fortunately, just in time, the others regroup. They open up. They're still at a dead end, though. There's elevator, elevator shaft, no power. One of the guys jumps out of the elevator, reaches a control panel, starts rewiring it. Power comes on. Unfortunately, he doesn't make it back in time. He gets skewered. He's dead. And the rest of them ride the elevator up into the main compound, or what's left of it, anyway. Then we jump back in time to the lab. The colonel is still desperate to get the DNA sequenced. He's been driven by the potential death of his son, throwing caution to the wind, certainly disobeying orders, exceeding his authority at the very least. Nothing good can come of this, as you've probably figured out. Right, now this is a good set piece. They're on the elevator, it's rising up the building, up the dam, but the Morlocks are giving chase. They're scaling up the walls and the cabling, ripping it, tearing it, guns are being fired. Everybody's pressuring James to fix the latch. Fortunately, if you recall, or maybe you don't, Angela has a part of the old latch system in a necklace. As luck would have it, he found that earlier. So he uses that piece of technology to actually activate the latch. Initializes it, slow build up. At this point, the cable is severed. The elevator plunges down and bright light. The elevator cab is transported back through time, back to the base. And smashes against the stops where the Humvee used to be. Luckily they've moved the Humvee. <laughs> Otherwise everybody would be dead. The colonel is surprised. 
And he's probably annoyed as well because while these were away, he had nobody really to oppose him, his secret experiments to save his kid, which is going to bring down the fall of humanity. Captain, you made it. Sir. And the others? We lost them, sir. But we did manage to pick up some strays. Colonel Wichichar is delighted that the latch made it back safe and sound. Not so much when James says he's going to smash it. He orders his men to take James into custody at gunpoint, takes the latch off him, and then they discover that they've brought along a hitchhiker. One of the Morlocks is alive and well. Caught in the rubble, but now they have a live specimen for DNA testing. Interesting, at this point, the colonel goes and sees James, confesses, or at least tries to justify his actions. James is having none of it, really. As he points out, what the colonel's doing is probably going to accelerate the rise of the Morlocks. So, James ain't going anywhere. Angela approaches the colonel. She says let her talk to him. I'm able to convince him. He gives her five minutes. However, she's on James' side. She realises that this technology is no good. It's not going to benefit. It's got to be stopped. Meanwhile, in the lab, Dr Watkins is analysing the data from the latch. And we get to see the date. The present day and the date that the latch travelled to. So, in film time, it's March 2012. The latch and the soldiers they travel to November the 13th, 2018. The fall of the human race took 68 years. Ouch. Angela arrives at the lab. The good doctor, oh, I won't say he's terrified, but he's disturbed. Something he can't quite fathom. His brain is kind of taking a leave of absence. She tries to smash the latch. He grabs it from her. A little bit paranoid, a little manic. He steps back. Unfortunately, the Morlock is restrained against one of the walls. Why? I have absolutely no idea. Either way, inches from it, it rips out its bonds and yum 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 yum. The good doctor is dead, and as his body flies through the window, the Morlock escapes <laughs> confinement. <sighs> Here we go. It gets worse though, as the Morlock is chewing on the good doctor, his hands on the latch, it activates. As luck would have it, the exact space-time mirror is the cavern where the Morlocks are roosting. And so, dozens, if not hundreds of Morlocks, are pouring into the research base through the rift. The end of the human race? Maybe a few decades earlier. Well done, Colonel. It goes from bad to worse. The security contingent are being ripped to pieces. The Morlocks keep coming through the rift. The Colonel, along with one of his security guys, the soldier reports they're being overrun. The Colonel says he's going to seal the base off. Unfortunately, the main doors are still open. As soon as it's dark, they're going to contaminate the local population. The colonel has turned out to be a pretty bad guy. And considering that he's surrounded by flesh-eating monsters, that's saying something. On the upside, James and Angela seem to be back on. Smooching big time. So, the end of the world can do that for a couple. Reignite the passion. <laughs> they get to the main lab. They see the body of Dr. Watkins, as well as the latch line next to him. Finally, a break. Captain Hoyle makes an appearance. Somehow he's survived as well. He ribs James a little, getting him to think outside the box. James mentions that some sort of energy pulse will be needed. So the captain throws a grenade into the rift. It explodes and it certainly creates havoc. Exactly what James is looking for. So certainly not a step James would have taken by himself. James says he needs a bigger explosion to close the rift. Captain can sort that out. The base has a self-destruct system. Unfortunately, as he's programming it, the colonel appears with his 9mm and fires into the console. 
So the blood of hundreds of soldiers is on his hands, and he's still being a dick. Step away from the console, Cap. Listen to me. We have to follow protocol and contain this. If those things get out... Oh dear. The colonel's taken a step too far, cold-bloodedly shooting one of his own men in the stomach. The captain falls to his knees, and the colonel tells James that, well, if the latch is destroyed, you've murdered him yourself. Colonel tells him he's talking about his son. Still confusing. But Angela takes a chance. She runs at the colonel, pushes him into the, the main lab, where the rift is still active. Security blast doors come down, and the colonel is all by himself in the last place he wants to be. The rift is destabilised. He falls into it, screams, whirls around. It looks like it's ripping his body apart atom by atom and scattering him to the four winds. James is feeling all heroic. He's taken some of the C4 from one of the demolition charges. He figures that if he can blow this within the event horizon of the rift, it will totally collapse it. And without a latch, the time machine is finished for good. Angela isn't too pleased with this prospect. And when a man gets into his head to be heroic, it's difficult to stop him. But wait, the captain, who's critically wounded, offers his hand. Give me the charge. I'm dying anyway, but I can make it to the rift. And it takes a while for James to actually concede. Very much growth of the character in a movie that doesn't really relate too strongly with character development. Well, I don't know, the movie likes throwing twists at you. It looks like they're not going to be able to get far enough away from the blast until they see a helicopter, Black Hawk, with its rotors running, ready to take off. They make a run for it. Tyrell sees that they're being chased by a couple of Morlocks, waves them off. He tells them to head towards the tank. Happens to be a tank just parked there. Luckily it's open, they get inside, the helicopter takes off. It looks like the Morlocks, they're not going to be able to get into the tank. As the Morlocks warm the tank, the helicopter's chain gun opens up. But not before one of the, another Morlock jumps on the tail rotor of the uh, helicopter. Pilot loses control and it crashes. Yeah, people aren't having a very good day, are they? Tyrrell and Cortez survive the crash and make a dash for the tank. They get inside. Luckily, Tyrrell knows how to drive a tank. Woe betide any Morlocks that get in the crosshairs of his gun sight. The captain, meanwhile, has survived his journey into the rift. He's far into the future, surrounded by Morlocks. The body of the colonel... Well, the skeleton of the colonel, not much flesh on him anymore, is there. As the Morlocks circle him, he holds up the latch, points his gun at it, fires. Huge amount of energy is released, the rift ruptures, and the base and the lab is destroyed. Tank rolls out of the debris, only four of them left. Angela, James, Tyrrell and Cortez. Uh, going to be one hell of a report they're going to have to file, that's for sure. And wait for it, yes... An epilogue, if you will. An unnamed research facility, a lab coat scientist, a young man in some sort of green plasma field, computer monitors, Morlock DNA splicing, increasing the dosage, his eyes open, cat-like. The end of the human race is being born. Bit cliched, but okay. We'll give it a pass. And that was Morlocks, aka Time Machine, Rise of the Morlocks. I enjoyed that movie. It wasn't particularly... High production value, the CGI was pretty average to say the least. Really needed more money being spent on that, but as we can see, it didn't have a very big budget. The cast, I suspect, took up the bulk of the production value. Nothing wrong with the cast at all. David Hewlett and Robert Picardo, solid actors. Christine Cole, she was certainly a named actress. The rest of the cast, smaller time, a lot of English actors, or at least resumes, comes from British television. The story, perfectly fine. 
building upon the HG Wells Time Machine original. Morlocks were one of the creatures. Rod Taylor, sorry, can't remember the actual character name in the book. In fact, I probably should rewatch that movie. It was one of the better science fiction movies from the 60s. And a quick Google. Ah, <laughs> Rod Taylor played H.G. Wells. Of course he did. Duh. Mind you, didn't like the remake. Okay then, folks. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you want to join me for an episode of Stargate or B-Movie, which features Stargate actors, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Our website is stargatearchives.com. Email stargatearchives at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr. Do a search for Gatecast. And on Twitter, we are at the Gatecast, which is one word. Why Gatecast and not Stargate Archives on social media? Well, we established a brand name, if you will. So I didn't particularly want to change it. You can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbay. We also have RSS feeds. You can manually add to your favourite podcatcher. Well, 398 episodes of Gatecast are available. About 60 episodes of Target Archives is also available. But what's next? And you know, I don't know. Delve into my collection, see what uh, movies I've got, which feature Stargate actors. Have a look on uh, Amazon and uh, Netflix, see what I can find there. Any suggestions, love to hear from you. Okay then, once again, Morlocks, thank you very much for listening with me. Till next time, I've been Mike, take care. <laughs>